extraordinary districts in extraordinary times. Hi, this is Karen Chenoweth from the Education Trust. Today, April 20th, I am talking with Faith Lucy, principal of Dr. Robert W. Gilliard Elementary School in Mobile, Alabama. And after she and I talk, I will bring in my colleague, Tangie Reed Marshall, Ed Trust Director of Practice, to talk through what we just heard and try to put into perspective what we're hearing from educators in the rest of the country. So I actually want to explain why I'm talking to Faith Lucy today, because it's it's a little bit of a long story. I'm going to cut it down pretty short. The story actually starts in 2004 in another school in Mobile. George Hall Elementary was one of the lowest performing schools in Alabama, and the state started making noises about taking it over. Mobile Public Schools assigned Terry Tomlinson as principal and Debbie Bolden as assistant principal and required the entire staff to reapply for their jobs, only two of whom were rehired. Within a few years, George Hall was one of the top performing schools in the state, serving African-American students from very low-income homes. I first visited George Hall in 2009 and have long thought that the story of George Hall deserves its own book but I did write a bit about it in Schools That Succeed, which was published in 2017. I'm hoping to have the current principal, Melissa Mitchell, on this podcast soon. She's as thoughtful an educator as they come. But I'm explaining why Ms. Lucy is here, because she never worked at George Hall. But Debbie Bolden left George Hall in 2011 to become principal of another low-performing school in Mobile, Dr. Robert W. Gilliard Elementary. Gilliard was another challenge. When Bolden arrived, teacher morale was low and achievement was in the basement. In many classes, there wasn't even the semblance of instruction. Movies, games, and disruption dominated the day. But even the lowest performing schools have teachers doing good work. And Debbie Bolton told me that she knew right from the beginning that one of the fifth grade teachers would be the kind of leader she needed to help turn the school around. That was Faith Lucy. Seven years later, Gilliard had improved dramatically and Bolden took a job near to her, her parents in Escambia County, Alabama. I'm hoping to talk with her as well in the future. But when she left, she told me that there wasn't another person in Mobile County who was better prepared to lead improvement at Gilliard than Faith Lucy. She also said Ms. Lucy might be one of the only people willing to take the job because it remained a difficult school. Ms. Lucy, thank you so much for talking with me today. Thank you so much for having me, Ms. Chenoweth. I hope you and your family are safe and healthy. Yes, we are. We are actually all doing very well. Good, good. Did I describe Dr. G- uh, Robert W. Gilliard Elementary School accurately? You told me. Yes, ma'am. <laughs> yes, ma'am. <laughs> yes, ma'am. You told me that back when uh, Bolden first arrived, you were embarrassed to tell people you worked there. Is that? Is that, that, right? is a, that is absolutely correct. Um, when Ms. Bolden 
initially took over the school, I, I can remember many times being out in the district and, you know, when you sit around with other teachers, we talk about the schools where we work and they would often say, what school do you work at? And I would just, you know, kind of freeze because I was a little embarrassed um, to share where I worked because at that particular time, um, Gilgart was not doing well. Um, we were kind of known to be, you know, one of the roughest elementary schools here in Mobile. And it was a very newly open school. It had not been open. When I came to work here, it had only been opened a year. So it had already um had the reputation of being a very, very rough school. So it was, you know, a little embarrassing um, for me to say, hey, I work at Gilyard because at that particular time, there was so much going on here. Well, including for, uh, as I, as, as I was told, uh, students were regularly arrested and taken out in handcuffs. Yes, ma'am. We had a, a, a population of children at that particular time that, you know, pretty much ran the school. Um, the police, you know, were here quite a bit, and it was because of the disorderly students um, that were attending here at that time. So, yeah, the police presence was, you know, quite the norm at, at that particular time. Today, it's very different, um, <laughs> right? I mean, yes. the, the student population is actually really very similar, but you, you proudly told me something in an email that the school had earned a B in yes. on the state accountability system last yes. year. Very excited um, and always happy to share that great news. Um, we did receive a B um, last year on our state report card score. We were elated about that score, knowing um, where we where we started. Um, state testing is very difficult for our students here in this building. You know, I tell people a lot of times, my kids are, are very different. And I call them my kids because they are mine when they're here with me. Um, they come from some very, very difficult places. Um, and it's very challenging. You know, they come in survival mode pretty much every day. And that's not all of my students, but it's quite um, a large quantity of them. And, and they just come trying to survive every day. So, you know, the school is a safe place for them. So it's it's really hard. We have to start over every single day with them. We have to wipe the slate clean every single day. So for us to be a B school is quite remarkable. It took a lot of hard work, a lot a lot of sleepless nights, a lot of crying, but I, I have a team of teachers that um, I will put up against anybody. I think that they're some of the best teachers in the county, and I'm, I'm proud to, you know, have them here with me at Gildard. So talk to me about the, your experience in the last few weeks where all of a sudden you had to close. Like, what was that like? What was closing, closing up the school like? I, especially when you know that many of your students uh, rely on the school mm -hmm. for food, for mm -hmm. a safe place. How, how, how did that process go through? Well, it, it was, it was scary. It happened really fast. Um, very thankful for the leadership that we have in place um, at this time. Um, Superintendent Thread Gill and Dr. Brackens have done an immaculate job preparing us and getting us ready for the close. Um, they stayed very um, in, in close contact with us a whole lot. So um, when we got originally got the news that we would be closing, um, we were given very specific steps that we needed to follow 
um, though, because we're a big district. So it, it took a lot of work behind the scenes to make sure that we, we, we took care of this in the correct way. Um, we, we, we took direction from our superintendent. We got the word from him he, of what he expected, how he wanted it to be done. And it was up to the principals to execute the plan that was put in place by him, as well as his task force that has that are still working very closely with him. So it it was scary, but um, because of the leadership that we have, it, we were able to do it. And, and, you know, it took some of the, you know, scaredness away from me. It did because, you know, to me, I'm still, I'm still kind of new at this. There are a lot of principals that have been in this for a long time and this has never happened um, since I've been teaching. So it was a bit scary, but I'm very thankful for the leadership because it did help with that. So are you, is, is Gilliard providing food for students? Well, the district is actually providing um, food for the for all students in the district. We do have a bus that goes around to 63 sites daily um, to drop off in its curbside pickup. They're able to come to the school, pick up a lunch and a breakfast that's in a bag for the students. And that's every day, Monday through Friday. They actually come to Gilgard from nine. They're here from 920 until 940 each day. So they do have a schedule that we post on all of our social media websites. Um, I have put it on the school's page. I have also sent it out by instant message because we want our parents to know that we are still going to provide breakfast and lunch for our students as long as we are able to. So the district um, has had that initiative in place and it's been going very well. So, so you said um, in your email to me a few year, a few weeks ago that very few of your students have internet service or computers. How have you solved that for that problem? Well, um, because we're a Title I school and we receive Title I funds, each year um, that I've been the principal, I've made sure to push a great bit of that money into technology. So I have been very, I've been able to purchase um, many laptops every year um, for the school. So we were trying to get to the point where um, all of the classes beginning on third, fourth, and fifth grade had what we call a rolling lab that would be available for those classes. Well, we had gotten up to six rolling labs. So what we have, uh, we, we actually issued every one of those laptops out to my students that needed devices at home. Um, the district sent out a survey to the parents asking if they had devices at home and if they had internet access. And based upon that survey, they sent the numbers to the principals and they were, we were able to provide 120 students with devices and the system is providing um, me with the hotspots for those parents that don't have internet access. I'm actually supposed to receive those today. And I have a team of teachers. I have 10 of them that come in with me and they have been coming to help hand out the devices, whichever day of the week, you know, that, that I ask for them to come up and help me. But we have successfully handed out 120 um, devices to families here at Gilliard. And, and how many students are you up to? You're a pretty big school. Yes, ma'am. Um, currently, I have 782 students enrolled. So is that meeting the need or do you still have students who don't have computers or, or hotspots? 
Well, I have communicated with the parents and so have the teachers. The teachers are required to call the parents once a week and touch bases with them and they find out whatever technology needs that they have. Now, based upon the information that has been provided to me by my teachers, I have taken care of the, the parents that have requested devices. Some of them did not need devices. Some of them only need internet. They have devices, they just don't have internet. So we'll be able to help those parents. Hopefully um, tomorrow I have a, a device slash hotspot pickup time set aside tomorrow from nine to 11. And I have those teachers that will come up to help me pending the delivery of the hotspots today. Once that's solved, what are you going to use those computers for? Are, are you going to try and actually provide new instruction to students? Absolutely. We've already started. Last week was our first week of online instruction. What we did was we, some parents just don't, you know, they don't want the technology because they're not familiar with how to use it. And that's okay. What we provided for them and the system put in, um, put together instructional packets for, for all of the students that um, did not want internet access, did not want device pickup. So they are able to pick, they were able to pick up an instructional packet from the school that the teachers teach from that as well. So we do have some of the students that are strictly on online instruction. And then we do have a portion of our students that um, are receiving instruction via paper packet. Now, with that being said, the district has partnered with several of the TV, the local TV stations, and they offer live and recorded um, televised lessons throughout the day for the parents. Um, for those parents that don't have cable um, and have the antenna access, they have a, a channel that's available for them as well. So not only are my teachers like sending videos to parents' phones and uploading them to their Google Classrooms, um, they are able, the parents are able to get instruction um, via televised instruction that has been provided by the school system as well. What's your hope for your students in these weeks? What are you hoping that happens for them instructionally or some other way? Well, I, I have a faculty meeting um, via Teams with my staff every week to talk about um, things that I want to take place. And, and one of the things I always remind them of is that this is different. This is hard for some of our parents. We have to show compassion and patience. So I don't require them to overload um, those parents and those students with a lot of lessons. We're doing, we're, well, the system gave us what they call critical standards that we should address for fourth quarter. Okay, so it's it's very minimal, but it allows the students to see to still receive instruction based upon the standards they need to learn from. So we don't we, we're not pushing a whole lot of standards. It's actually only three for reading and three for math so that it's not so much because some of the parents have kids in middle school and high school as well. So we are taking into account um, that. So we, we don't assign a whole lot of assignments, but um, this has really, you know, had some of my teachers to, to kind of move from their comfort zone, you know, with standing in front of the class teaching, whereas now they're having to do some video chats, some video teaching. They're receiving a lot of professional development online right now to help assist with the Google 
cool classroom platforms that they have um, put in place. So, you know, though this is a trying time for us, it's actually a very great learning opportunity. My, my teachers are able to um, participate in a lot of professional development and it opens up a lot of learning opportunities for them. So what's the funniest thing that's happened? <laughs> well, we've had a whole lot of funny things that happen. Um, I, I try to get on social media um, to, to have a lot of communication with my parents because believe it or not, they will respond to me quicker on Facebook than they will with me sending out an instant phone message to them. They reply um, to literally everything that I post on the Gilyard School's Facebook page. So, you know, the parents are sending me all of these funny videos of, of them saying they need a substitute teacher because they're the teacher. So, you know, that really brightens my day because, you know, I miss the kids. I miss them so much. So when I get those, those type of videos and, and the positive responses for the parents, it, it really means a lot, but I am really enjoying all of the videos that the parents are sending me, um, begging for substitute teachers, begging for um, to take some personal days off. So that has really, really, you know, put some happies in my day. <laughs> um, so many of your parents, I think, are in service jobs, right? Uh, fast yes. food workers and other jobs yes. like that. Are you hearing about coronavirus cases? Mobile's been hit fairly hard. It's been hit fairly hard, but um, now that's, it's not to say that my population of kids, I don't know. None of the parents have communicated to me that they have sick children. Very thankful for that. I'm very thankful for that. Um, I am in close communication with my parents. And I do feel like if we had some cases, they would readily let me know because they know how I feel about my kids. So um, I, I do think that should you know, something come up, I would be notified by the parent. I've made um, all of the school system cell phone, I mean, school phones have been transferred to the principal school system issued cell phones. So my parents are able to just call the school number and it rings right to my cell phone. So I do talk to a lot of them on a daily basis. So what are you thinking about plans for re-entry or, or do you have thoughts about summer school? What, what are you, what are you thinking about like coming back? Well, some of the things that have been communicated to us in reference to summer school is they're thinking that we're going to do summer school the, the same way online. Um, that has been the talk that, that we'll possibly have to do um, online learning um, for summer school for those students that would need it in order to be promoted to the next grade. Now, looking um toward the new school year, the 2020-2021 school year, I have written down some things and some thoughts that I do have. Um, of course, I, I have not spoken to my leadership team, nor have I talked to my teachers about it. But I mean, this online learning, I, I thought that it would be more difficult than it is. But believe it or not, the kids are, are rising to the challenge. So are their parents. Um, and I do think that, you know, we were headed in the direction where we wanted to kind of do some flipped classrooms where a lot of the learning would take place at home. And now that we, we're getting a lot of PD under our belt, I think that, you know, we'll be able to push this a little bit more in grades three, four, and five, being as though those grade levels are departmentalized. So I think that this will really help with, with the online learning process that I want to take place when we come back, um, hopefully when we come back in the fall. 
Are you thinking about maybe looping some classes? Um, that's that's kind of getting some traction out there. That's well, an idea. Well, that's at, believe it or not, that's actually what I am doing. Um, I have tried looping the teacher, and it it gave me some great data. But I did speak with my staff, and they knew this before we went out um, out of school that next year I am looping the classes. I'm actually looping the entire building. So my entire um, student body will be looped. They will move as a whole class. Of course, I'll have to pull a couple of students out here and there that, you know, were a little challenging, you know, with some of their other classmates. Now, I will move those students, but for the most part, I am looping the classes because um, what I noticed with our advanced classes, we do have one advanced class on every grade level. What I have noticed with my advanced classes is um, the data. It gives me some great data. I'm able to do a whole lot of tracking from year to year with that same cohort of students. So that's what um, made me decide that I did that I wanted to loop classes versus looping the teachers. Interesting. So, so what are you doing day by day? Like every day, you're answering a lot of phone calls. I'm guessing. Yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. I'm answering a lot of phone calls. I am in and out of all of my teachers' Google Classrooms, um, commenting um, in the thread to my students so that they know that I'm watching. The teachers have said that that has helped quite a bit. Um, when they see a comment from me in the thread, you know, the kids kind of make sure that they're doing the assignments. And I just say something sweet like, Miss Lucy's watching. I'm looking for my chance um, to, to make me proud. Just something so that they know that I am watching what's going on inside of the Google Classrooms. And for my students that are, that are receiving their instruction via paper packet, I do make contact with those parents. I call, I ask how it's going. Is there anything I can do to help? So um, that that's the kind of, that's the really the run of my day. I'm staying in contact with my teachers as well as my parents. Interesting. Well, so thank you so much, Ms. Lucy. We may circle back at some point to hear how you and yes, Billiard are progressing, if that's okay. Yes, ma'am. That is, um, that is absolutely fine. Mobile is doing such interesting work and has been for quite some time. Yes, ma'am. <laughs> Yes, ma'am. It's so, hard so work. So keep going. Yes, ma'am. It's hard work, but I absolutely love it. Um, we at EdTrust hope you and your family and everyone at Gilliard stay safe and healthy. Um, I want to introduce my colleague, Dr. Tangie Reed Marshall. Tangie's a longtime teacher and is EdTrust's director of practice. Tangie, Miss Lucy is like, she's so cheerful. I know. <laughs> it's nice to hear. <laughs> Yeah, she reminds me of Dr. Sterling, who was so upbeat as well and so hopeful, which I think is really exciting, particularly in these um, times that feel really precarious for folks. They do indeed. And um, uh, Gilliard is a, an interesting school. It's a big school. It, it's a big school to manage. And um, what Ms. Lucy didn't say, and I didn't say it either, it was a new school. It was the combination of two elementary two schools. schools that were long standing in Mobile. And uh, that combination was actually quite a difficult transition for the two schools to make, two staffs, two student bodies, two parent. Um, you know, and they had been competing schools before that, and all of a sudden they were asked to be uh, one school, and it was actually quite a difficult transition. And uh, one thing I didn't mention was that the University of South Alabama stopped sending student teachers there at a certain point because it was so 
uh, difficult and such a difficult circumstance. And so it was a big deal when they started sending student teachers again. Yeah. After uh, after Debbie Bolden was uh, principal for a while. So I'm hoping to get Debbie Bolden on uh, at some point onto this podcast. But um, what what I think is so interesting is her um, discussion of the district. Um, Yeah. What what I have found over the years is principals either talk about their district in really positive ways or never mention them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, right. It's either one or the other, right? There's, one never the a middle, other. <laughs> there's never a middle ground on that. And which, so it was really interesting to hear, um, you know, her language around the process was really fast. She had great leadership. They had very specific tools and goals and expectations. And there's a task force in place really working on that. So I think, that's another testament to the import of leadership, right? right? And we, we talk, yeah, right. We may have to we may have to ask um, Mobile Superintendent to come on as well at some point, yeah, because, to talk about that the structures and the po- and the processes they put in place to move here. Um, I was struck really on the instructional side, um, putting my practice head on, thinking about how um, Faith Lucy talked about the standards right? Because it's a critical piece that people keep wanting to ask. Are students learning? What are they learning? How are we going about, you know, this sort of continuing or extending learning? And to hear her say the district has taken a very specific um, road in terms of streamlining standards and focusing on three, she called them critical standards. And in my world, we've called them power standards. So they're about the same thing. Three in reading and three in math, I think is a really interesting concept to think about. Um, to help both teachers and parents and kids, not both, but all of those elements and stakeholders manage the amount of um, work kids are getting. I was on the phone with a student yesterday interviewing, and she said her teachers are giving more work now than they ever did before. And so to hear uh, Faith Lucy talk about streamlining was really actually quite encouraging and interesting to hear about. Well, and we heard that from, uh, Nicholas Sterling, and we heard that from Sergio Garcia. We heard that, mm-hmm. you know, in other words, we can't expect this brand new world. Kids are going to learn more. They're going right. to learn less. We have to accept that and then deal with it next year. And I I was interested to hear that she's going to loop the whole school. Looping right. meaning kids right. will come back to their to same, their teacher, same teacher, teacher, assuming, you know, assuming they yeah. were enrolled last year and all that. Right. But they will they will come back to their same teacher. The relationships are already there. The uh, yeah. the routines, the structures are already That's there. Right. So that that doesn't have to be another piece of learning, right? Another and, piece and, right. of new thing. And having done that, I find that that's a real that's one less ramp, right? right? So they can just really sort of pick up almost where they left off and get on, you know, to the next thing. And they might be able to accelerate faster than people are expecting. I think people are expecting a huge shortfall. And I think that's a reasonable expectation. And I do think also having put into a looping um, system in place that might stem the tide of some of that loss. 
Right. Well, I, I, I'm sure you have read the stories of Fairfax County. Very yes, I wealthy, have. Yeah, yes. very wealthy, very mm-hmm. large district, comparable to Mobile. Mobile might be a little bit smaller. Smaller, yeah. Um, but you know, similar, similar scale, and uh, they didn't update the programs. They didn't yep. like they they really were caught flat-footed. Flat-footed. But mm-hmm. because they're Fairfax County. They wanted to be full bore right away and didn't make real allowances for that. So I don't, you know, this isn't to pick on Fairfax County. Um, No, it's about really understanding. One of the things that folks don't tend to understand is the complexity of schooling from a process standpoint. They miss it. And so when they don't understand that you cannot pick it up and move it like a pocketbook or a pair of shoes, and that there are all of these sort of back of the house, you know, processes that need to be in place, people don't realize how difficult that is. You can't just shut it down on Friday and move it on Monday and it sort of work all right. You know, you've got a lot of moving parts. And I think Fairfax was an example of that and the other districts we heard from where they have taken time to plan and review and structure their work, that's been where the success has been. Right, right. So, so this is this kind of wraps up this episode of the Education Trust podcast, Extraordinary Districts in Extraordinary Times. Our aim is to bring you the voices of thoughtful educators grappling with all the questions of equity and excellence that face all educators today. Please subscribe so you are notified of new episodes. If you think this is a valuable podcast, recommend us to folks in your network and leave a review wherever you got this podcast. And if there's a particular educator you'd like to hear from, let me know who and why. You can email at extraordinarydistricts at edtrust.org or tweet at edtrust or tweet me personally at at Karen Chenoweth, that's K-A-R-I-N Chenoweth, C-H-E-N-O-W-E-T-H, all one word, or Tangi at at Remarsh 76, that's capital R-E-M-A-R-S-H 76. Mike Patillo records and edits this podcast from Tonal Park. He was able to record our conversation through the magic of Zoom, Thanks to the whole team at EdTrust for helping get this podcast launched. And thanks to the Wallace Foundation for providing financial support. Thank you and see you next time.